Happy Tuesday. Um, editing Francis here. Uh, thanks for your patience while I figured out what was going on with the platform that I record on. Um, as we speak, it is 2 p.m. on Tuesday. And for some reason, that platform is still processing the upload. And the upload itself took like 14 hours, which it normally doesn't do. It usually like is done almost immediately after I'm done recording. So I don't know what's going on. I'm going to look for a new platform this week, but I was finally able to download kind of like the backup files. So I'm editing this, um, you know, much later than I normally edit. Um, so anyway, thanks for your patience and enjoy this episode that sounds much better than last week's. Hello there and happy Tuesday. My name is Francis and I love music, love it, and movies. Movies and music, and the music used in movies, and TV. I'm the friend who notices the music used in the media constantly, to the point that my friends think of me immediately, if and when they notice it themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to my podcast, Needle Drops That Will Change Your Life. What is a needle drop? I'm so glad you asked. Wikipedia defines a needle drop as the use of an existing recording rather than an original score in a film. I'd also add television or honestly any other form of media, video games, movie trailers, and more. For example, any of the songs I discuss on this very podcast. Why should you care about my thoughts on needle drops? Well, I'm a great person, obviously, but other than that, being a music supervisor is my dream job. But I'm stuck in Texas where there aren't a ton of opportunities for me to get into that industry. So I'm dipping my toe into the world of podcasting to discuss the incredible work that music supervisors do. What do they do? Well, let me tell you. According to the Berklee College of Music, music supervisors artfully select and license pre-existing songs and recordings for use in movies, television shows, and video games. Today we're setting out into space with Star-Lord and the Guardians of the Galaxy as we try to steal the MCU's first official Infinity Stone and save the planet Xandar. Spoilers ahead for Guardians of the Galaxy. It was released almost 10 years ago, and it is on Disney+. Plus. How have you not seen it yet? No, really. Pause the podcast and go watch it if you haven't. I'll be here waiting when you're done. Guardians of the Galaxy, now referred to as Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1, is why MCU needle drops have become as iconic as they are now. Almost 10 years later, Awesome Mix Volume 1 is still one of the most iconic soundtracks in all of the MCU. Any other fabulous needle drops in the MCU have the success of the first Guardians movie to thank, which is why we're embarking on a two-month deep dive into some of my absolute favorite MCU needle drops. So who are the music supervisors on the movie? Dave Jordan. You have probably seen his name on every single Marvel opening credits. He is the founder and CEO of Format Entertainment. Format has grown into the largest collection of theatrical and television music supervisors in the world. Format's clients are some of the most recognizable names in entertainment, media, advertising, and consumer brands, including names such as Marvel Studios, Warner Consumer Products, and Spin Master. Format has been Marvel Studios' exclusive music department since 2000, having worked on all 32 films and all nine Disney Plus shows, playing an integral role in the universe building since inception.
In addition, Format has worked on campaigns for brands such as Mattel's iconic Barbie and Spin Master's global sensation Paw Patrol, as well as Netflix, ESPN, Amazon, T-Mobile, and many others. Dave Jordan began his career working for record labels, but soon transitioned to become one of Hollywood's most sought-after theatrical music supervisors. Dave's success has ranked him as the top-grossing music supervisor in film history, and he serves on the Los Angeles Board of Governors for the Grammy Committee, contributing to advocacy, education, and human service programs to improve the cultural condition and quality of life for music and its makers. Dave received an NAACP Image Award for his work on Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Guardians also had a music coordinator, Margaret Gardner. She was the music coordinator for Straight Out of Compton in 2015, Horrible Bosses 2 in 2014, The Internship in 2013, the TV show Smash also in 2013, as well as several MCU projects like Ant-Man and Age of Ultron. Prior to her work with Dave Jordan and Format, she interned at Neophonic, and after some slight internet sleuthing, it appears Margaret no longer works in music coordination, supervision, and licensing. So today we are going to be talking about the use of Cherry Bomb by the Runaways in Guardians of the Galaxy, and I would like to tell you what we know about the artist and the song outside of the needle drop. Cherry Bomb is the debut single by the all-female band The Runaways from their self-titled album released in 1976. Cherry Bomb was ranked 52nd on VH1's 100 Greatest Hard Rock Songs and peaked at number 6 on the Billboard Bubbling Under Hot 100 chart. Rhythm guitarist and backing vocalist Joan Jett composed the song with Kim Fowley, the band's then-manager, for our lead singer to audition for the Runaways. And the Runaways were the first true girl band of the 1970s, which also featured Leah Ford, Jackie Fox, and Sandy West. They toured internationally and made a dent in the charts before calling it quits at the end of the decade. Once again, I want to throw my support the way of the Writers Guild and SAG-AFTRA uh, as the strike continues. I'm very proud of the work that these unions are doing. I'm uh, proud of people like Dwayne The Rock Johnson stepping up to help his fellow actors in times of need. And um, like I said last week and the week before and the week before that, uh, power to the workers, hold your ground. Let's uh, hope everyone can come to a reasonable agreement soon. Reasonable being a keyword for the studios that are being awful. <laughs> so who are the characters in the movie? We have a still likable Chris Pratt as Peter Quill, aka Star-Lord. He is the leader of the Guardians of the Galaxy. He was abducted from Earth as a child in the 80s and raised by a group of thieves and smugglers called the Ravagers. Zoe Saldana is uh, Gamora. She is the daughter of the mad titan Thanos and has been, quote, lent out to Kree warrior Ronan the Accuser. Dave Bautista is Drax the Destroyer. He is a warrior who seeks to avenge his family's death at the hands of Ronan. Vin Diesel is the voice of Groot. Groot is a tree-like humanoid and he acts as the muscle and companion for Rocket. 
Bradley Cooper is Rocket, a genetically engineered raccoon-based bounty hunter, mercenary, and master of weapons and battle tactics. Lee Pace plays Ronan the Accuser, a Kree zealot and war criminal who agrees to retrieve an artifact for Thanos in exchange for the annihilation of his mortal enemies, the Xandarians. Michael Rooker plays Yondu Udonta, Udonta? Yondu. Yondu is a blue-skinned bandit who is the leader of the Ravagers and a paternal figure to Quill. Karen Gillian is Nebula. She is also a daughter of Thanos and was raised as Gamora's sister and is a loyal lieutenant in the employ of Ronan and Thanos. So what do we know about the characters to the point in their story that the needle drop occurs? The official IMDb summary says a group of intergalactic criminals must pull together to stop a fanatical warrior with plans to purge the universe. Beat by beat, we start in 1988 on Earth. Peter Quill's mother is dying from a brain tumor in the hospital. He is listening to his Walkman with a cassette tape labeled Awesome Mix Volume 1. Peter's grandfather comes to get him from the waiting area so he can say goodbye to his mother. Mother gives him a small gift and asks for his hand. Peter's too afraid to take it, and she dies. Distraught, Peter runs out of the hospital into a field and is abducted by aliens. Flash forward to the present, 2014. Now an adult, Peter Quill prefers to be called Star-Lord. Listening to that same Walkman with the same awesome mix volume one, Star-Lord is on a mission to find an orb. After an ambush by the Kree, Star-Lord makes it back to a ship named for his favorite 1980s actress, the Milano, and escapes. Yondu, who raised Peter as his own, calls Peter and demands he give him the orb. Peter decides to sell the orb on his own since it seems important to Yondu and the Ravagers. The Kree who ambushed Peter while he was stealing the orb returned to the Kree ship the Dark Aster, Ronan the Accuser wants the orb to trade to Thanos, the Mad Titan, in exchange for the destruction of the planet Xandar. Upon learning that Peter Quill has it, Ronan enlists Thanos' daughter Nebula to go after it, but Gamora, Thanos' other daughter, volunteers and is sit instead. Hmm. On Xandar, Peter takes the orb to a broker for selling and making money. Uh, but upon learning that Ronan also wants the orb, the broker says he wants nothing to do with it and kicks Peter out of the store. Gamora is waiting outside the shop, and in an attempt to distract him while stealing the orb, she begins flirting with him. In the midst of fighting Gamora, Rocket Raccoon and Groot join the fight to get, the to get a bounty that's been placed on Peter, and after the four-way fight and a bit of distraction, the Nova Corps arrest all four and send them to a prison known as the Kiln. In prison, the four meet Drax, whose family was killed by Ronan. Drax wants revenge on Ronan and, along with many other prisoners, wants to kill Gamora, but Peter convinces Drax not to kill her. In the meantime, Ronan meets with Thanos to give him an update on the orb, and Thanos tells Ronan to take care of it and mentions that Gamora is his favorite daughter in front of Nebula. Rocket devises a plan to escape the prison, which Groot sets in motion too soon by taking a battery that was meant to be the last thing gotten for the raccoon. 
The group escapes in Peter's ship, but not before Peter grabs his Walkman and Awesome Mix Volume 1, and they head to the Mysterious Collector to find out what the orb is and why it's so important. The Collector tells them it's an Infinity Stone, just before his assistant tries to take it for herself to kill the Collector, but instead kills herself due to the power of the stone. Our group once again escapes with the orb, stone intact, and decides to take the stone back to Nova headquarters on Xandar since it will be safest there. The team is ambushed by Ronan and company. Yondu and the Ravagers also show up at the same time. Mora, Rocket, and Quill take off in single passenger ships while Nebula and some of Ronan's goons chase after them. Drax tries to fight Ronan but gets beaten up badly. Nebula chases Gamora's ship above the atmosphere and blows it up. Nebula gets the Infinity Stone and leaves Gamora floating in space to die. Peter realizes that he can't allow Gamora to die, so he gives her his gas mask to keep her alive. Yondu arrives and collects them via tractor beam just before they freeze to death. Board the Dark Aster, Ronan calls to tell Thanos that he has the Infinity Stone now so he can cut Thanos out of a deal. Instead, he will destroy Xandar himself and then go after Thanos. He puts the Infinity Stone into his hammer. Back on Yondu's ship, Yondu is going to kill Peter for double-crossing him, but he reconsiders when Peter says he has a plan to get the orb back. Drax, Groot, and Rocket decide to join forces and save Peter and Gamora from Yondu. They fly the Milano back to Yondu's ship and threaten to blow it up. Rocket has built a special uh, weapon, and that's what he wants to use, unless Yondu releases Peter and Gamora. Peter emerges from the crowd aboard Yondu's ship and says that Rocket doesn't need to rescue him. Now on board the Milano, Peter explains that he needs to prevent Ronan from touching the Infinity Stone to the ground of Xandar, which will wipe out the planet. Peter says he has a plan. The, other, the others ask Peter if he really has a plan or if he is lying. He says he has part of a plan, 12% of a plan. Rocket says that they will most likely die if they try to stop Ronan, and Peter points out that they've already lost so much that at this point, they really have nothing to lose. Slowly, each of them stands up and announces that they will join the fight against Ronan, and we get our needle drop. Use these devices to contain it. 
touch it, it will kill you. I'll contact one of the Nova officers who arrested us. Hopefully they'll believe we're there to help. There's one more thing we need to complete the plan. That guy's eye. No, no we don't. No, we don't need that guy's eye. On the way to Xandar, Peter calls the Nova Corps to warn them of Ronan's impending arrival and says that they can trust him because he's not 100% a dick. Rocket's plan is to blow a hole in the Dark Aster while Peter, Gamora, Groot, and Drax board the ship and cut off the power supply before hitting Ronan with a cannon that Rocket made. While Peter, Gamora, Groot, and Drax are on the Dark Aster, Rocket and Yondu's Ravengers will defend Xandar from attack. Nebula finds those on Ronan's ship, and she and Gamora fight it out while the other three head off for the bridge of the ship to face off with Ronan. After being beaten by Gamora, Nebula commandeers a Ravager ship and flies away. On the bridge, the team faces off against Ronan, who is too powerful, but Peter tries shooting him with Rocket's cannon anyway, which does zero damage. Rocket crashes the Milano into the bridge and seems to have destroyed Ronan. The entire ship is now plummeting towards Xandar, so Groot forms a nest around the team for safety. Rocket is upset because he knows that what Groot is doing will end up killing him. dark aster crashes on xandar everyone except groot is okay groot is now a pile of twigs the battle is not over though because ronin is still alive he sarcastically calls peter and his crew the guardians of the galaxy as he raises his hammer for the final blow quill stands up and challenges ronin to a dance-off the challenge was a distraction Drax and Rocket shoot Ronan's hammer at Ronan, releasing the Infinity Stone. Peter grabs the stone before Ronan can. Holding the stone is going to kill Peter, but Gamora tells him to take, take her hand. He flashes back to when he didn't have the courage to take his mother's hand, and he now grabs Gamora's. Drax and Rocket hold hands with the others, and the power from the Infinity Stone is spread among the four of them, causing a burst of energy that vaporizes Ronan. Rocket collects one of the sticks that was once Groot. Yondu appears and demands the stone, as per his original deal with Peter. Peter hands him the orb. As Yondu and his men take off, one of them notes that he likes Peter and that he's glad they didn't take him back to his dad when they were supposed to all those years ago. Gamora is upset that Peter gave up the stone, but Peter reveals that he switched the orbs and still has the one with the stone. At Nova headquarters, they turn, they turn over the orb that contains the Infinity Stone, and Peter learns that he's only half-human and half-something ancient and unknown. They speculate that his non-human genes allowed him to hold the Infinity Stone without dying. Peter finally opens the present his mom gave him before she died. It's a cassette labeled Awesome Mix Tape Number 2. 
Peter asks the group if they want to do something good or something bad, and then decides that they should do something that is both. Rocket holds a pot in which he has stuck the stick that he retrieved after Groot's sacrifice, and we can see the face of a tiny Groot on the stick. During the credits, the baby Groot, slightly larger than in the previous scene, dances in his pot to Quill's 1980s music on Awesome Mix Volume 2. Drax is in the background, and baby Groot stops dancing anytime Drax looks at him, but starts again when Drax looks away. And in the post-credits scene, we learn that uh, the Collector has Howard the Duck. So Howard the Duck is Marvel canon. So how does the song relate to the characters in the movie? The song Cherry Bomb is about an underage girl who is a lot of trouble. In this case, taunting her parents and other adults with suggestions of promiscuity and bad behavior. A cherry bomb is also an approximately spherical exploding firework, roughly resembling, the ch resembling a cherry in size and shape, with the fuse resembling the cherry's stem. This imagery also reminds me of the orb, which is a bit larger than a cherry, but still relatively fruit-sized fruit and carries a powerful object known to cause destruction. Verse 1. of the song and our story, I feel like this refers to the partnership of the, of the Guardians and their plan. By forming this unlikely group of heroes, they're who the galaxy needs to beat Ronan. Verse 2. Peter has disobeyed Yondu a number of times, but regardless, they're teaming up for the better of the galaxy. Peter also convinces his fellow Guardians that since they've already lost so much, they have nothing to lose in standing up to Ronin. Chorus. Yondu has served as Peter's father ever since he was abducted from Earth, and he's definitely a wild child, disobeying him several times throughout this one story. And we get the feeling from Yondu's crew that it's not an isolated incident. And in this way, Peter is a cherry bomb. Gamora could also be considered a cherry bomb, not because she's female, but because she disobeys and has plans of her own to stand up to Ronan as well as her father, Thanos. Another song I think could have been used is Black Betty by Ram Jam. It is a 20th century African-American work song, often credited to Huddy Leadbelly Leadbetter as the author, though the earliest recordings are not by him. There are numerous recorded versions, including acapella and folk, and the song was eventually, with modified lyrics, remade as a rock song by the American band Ram Jam in 1977. The origin and meaning of the lyrics are subject to debate, 
Historically, the Black Betty of the title may refer to the nickname given to a number of objects, a bottle of whiskey, a whip, or a penitentiary transfer wagon. In later versions, Black Betty was depicted as various vehicles, including a motorcycle and a hot rod. The Ram Jam version was an instant hit with listeners and reached number 18 in the singles charts in the U.S. and achieved more success in the U.K. and Australia, reaching the top 10. This honestly is more of kind of a vibes suggestion than a lyric suggestion, since most of Ram Jam's Black Betty lyrics are kind of nonsensical, to me anyway. Like I mentioned before, this is kind of the reason we have such iconic needle drops in the MCU now. And so I'm going to discuss a couple other needle drops in the movie. In February 2014, director James Gunn revealed that the film would incorporate songs from the 60s and 70s on a mixtape in character Peter Quill's Walkman, which acts as a way for him to stay connected to the earth, his home, and the family that he lost. In May of 2014, James Gunn also said that, the, said that using the songs from the 60s and 70s were, quote, cultural reference points, saying, quote, it's striking the balance throughout the whole movie through something that is very unique, but also something that is easily accessible to people at the same time. The music and the earth stuff is one of those touchstones that we have to remind us that, yeah, Quill is a real person from the planet Earth who's just like you and me except that he's in this big outer space adventure. When choosing the songs, Gunn revealed that he started the process by reading the Billboard charts for all of the top hits from the 70s, downloading, quote, a few hundred songs that were, quote, semi-familiar, ones you recognize but not able to name the top off, name off the top of your head. And he created a playlist for all the songs that would be that would fit the film tonally. He added that he would listen to the playlist on his speakers around the house. Sometimes he would be inspired to create a scene around a song, and other times he had a scene that needed music and he would listen through the playlist visualizing various songs to figure out which would work the best. So some of these needle drops are Spirit in the Sky by Norman Greenbaum, which is the only song on the soundtrack that is not actually in the film. It was used in official trailer number two. Hooked on a Feeling by Blue Swede is used in official trailer number one and plays as the Guardians enter the prison, the kiln. Escape, aka the Pina Colada song by Rupert Holmes, plays as Peter takes his Walkman in the awesome an awesome mix volume one back from the prison and joins the others on the Milano following their escape from the kiln. Fooled Around and Fell in Love by Elvin Bishop plays as Gamora and Peter bond over music. Ooh Child by Five Stair Steps plays while Peter challenges Ronan to a dance-off. And I Want You Back by the Jackson Five is our credits song, which plays as Groot grows and dances to avoid Drax seeing him. Other media the song was used for and are covers of the song. Cherry Bomb was also used in Dazed and Confused in 1993. The OC Season 3, Episode 28 in 2006. True Blood Season 5, Episode 1 in 2012. Wreck-It Ralph in 2012. The Boys Season 1, Episode 2 in 2019. And the 
the Netflix film Fear Street Part 2, 1978, in 2021, among several other TV shows and movies. Joan Jett re-recorded the song with her band The Black Hearts for the album Glorious Results of a Misspent Youth, released in 1984. This version was the lip-sync song of Alaska and Katya on RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars 2 in 2016 for winning the Advertising Challenge. It is one of my favorite lip-syncs because these are two of my favorite drag queens. Sherry Curry, former lead singer of The Runaways, also re-recorded Cherry Bomb with Mary, with Marie Curry, her twin sister, on their 1997 re-released version of the album Messin' with the Boys. It was covered by the Dandy Warhols in 2011, Vitamin String Quartet in 2013, and on that note, let's, let's try to get it in, uh, Bridgerton, okay? I think it would be great. <laughs> it was also covered by Wanna Be a Star in 2017. Editing Francis here to add one more cover because I had a really hard time for some reason recording this cover mention. Uh, it was also covered by Madeleine Pesch, Camila Mendez, and Vanessa Morgan for Riverdale in 2020. So how did the needle drop, or in this case, the Guardian soundtrack, affect everything? Worldwide, the Guardians of the Galaxy Awesome Mix Volume 1 sold over 2.5 million copies in 2014. The soundtrack album reached number one on the Billboard, on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart, becoming the first soundtrack album in history, consisting entirely of previously released songs to top the chart. The album topped the Billboard Top Soundtrack chart for 11 consecutive weeks and 16 weeks in total. By September 2014, Guardians of the Galaxy Awesome Mix Volume 1 was the second best-selling soundtrack album in the U.S., with 426,000 copies sold at that time. The album was also the second soundtrack album released by Disney Music Group that year to reach number one on the aforementioned chart. That's all for today. Join me next time when I geek out over another needle drop. Leave a rating and review if you are so inclined and let me know what song you think would be a prefer would be perfect to play as you plan how to steal a very important space artifact and save a planet. If you're listening on Spotify, be sure to answer the question with the podcast. You can also visit my podcast page on Spotify, link in the show notes and leave me a voice message. Don't forget to follow the podcast on Instagram at Needle Drops Podcast. We also have a TikTok, still no content there, but go ahead and give it a follow at Needle Drops Podcast. This podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by, and edited by me, Francis. Social media support also provided by me. Thank you for listening, and please don't forget to share Needle Drops that will change your life with someone in your life you think would appreciate it. If you are feeling extra generous... I would absolutely love it if you would leave a rating and review of my podcast on whichever platform you prefer. Please, please, please. Word of mouth and reviews really help new podcasts. And I will see you next time. Mm -hmm.